Ochoa, I got a question for you today. And my question is, we talked briefly last week about uh, observations. And towards the end of that episode, we kind of gave some tips about... Uh, you know, just, you know, not putting on a dog and pony show, you know, you want to put your best foot forward, but just do kind of what you're comfortable with show real teaching. And you just had an observation. Now I don't want us to go into too much detail about the observation itself, but what I'm curious is, is what was your thinking process before you jumped in? Did you heed your own advice from the craft and draft? Uh, which had, you know, that, or did you kind of, basically, how did you prep yourself for this? How did you prepare yourself to be observed, especially during a pandemic when all normalcy is kind of broken at all times? Well, what was the advice I gave? (laughs) Maybe I need to ask you the question. Well, uh, my planning, first of all, first of all, I want, I want to showcase the kids. So that's, that's what I try to do. And so that's really interesting, by the way, not to cut you off literally in three seconds of you talking, but the, that flip of a mode, right? The, the, Mm -hmm. I, I want to showcase kids, not, I want to showcase me. I think that's a, I think that in and of itself is a lesson for people. Yeah, well, I think I think it's a, a good way. And now, you know, I made sure, there's some things I did make sure, because, you know, Jacob, we used to be the enforcer, so to speak, and had to make sure that all the little things were done that, that the district wanted done. So I looked around my room like I used to be and went, mm, I need to update that, I need to update this. So I did make sure ahead of time that I had everything updated so I wouldn't get dinged on things that are, I think, somewhat superficial, but I went ahead and made sure I had them up. And, uh, but what I, what I was really looking at is I went back over the lessons that um, we had planned. And I, first of all, started thinking about time. She told me when she'd be in there. And I knew that whatever I did, I needed to begin, if you will, that showcasing. I wanted her to see the students working was what I wanted so I timed it in such a way that the kids were reading their self-selected books and we were all reading when she walked in. So the minute she walked in, we were all already doing, but I wasn't up teaching. They were all reading. We were all reading. So anyway, I wanted to make sure that she could see that the students were reading. And one of the ways to do that is to make sure I ask questions about the things that they were reading. I think sometimes uh, teachers panic when they're not all reading the same thing and they don't. And so I was asking them questions about their book, having them tell me what they read, and then having them go back into it. And I had to think about what word I wanted them to to think about. And of course, the word was clarity. And clarity was going to be the word that moved us from reading to grammar to writing. And the whole idea was I wanted them to think about you know, looking at it from a reader's eyes, but looking at it from an author's eyes, and then turning around and doing like an author would. And so what that means is I needed them to to identify the devices that the authors were using in their own books, and then I asked them to try it as they were writing. And we had a brief discussion in the middle of it. 
So when they walked in, I'm always curious about this because I've done it both ways. When someone walks in to observe, do you acknowledge the person when they walk in? Oh yeah. I, I don't, I don't say like, Hey, they, she walked in and, um, I told her welcome. So yeah, I guess I did. Now that I'm thinking back on it. I don't even, I used to get all weirded out and usually I'm sitting and I'm jump up real fast. <laughs> you know, I've done that yeah. now. It's like, they don't even want us up and around because of COVID at our place. So, uh, but I did get up. I just made sure I, where I stood was away from the students. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you start thinking about those little things, but as far as, uh, you know, when she got up to look at the students, uh, she looked at their crafted draft books and she, and I know it kind of impressed her because she looked up at me with this, this look and a nod, you know, like this, like, wow, you know, that kind of look, because they were all writing and they were writing a lot. So that was kind of neat. Now, you know, I'm, I'm glad I timed it in that particular class because the next class, she, we were talking about either coming to this class or the other one, but I had like my half of my class I only had like seven kids in the next class that she was going to come to because the rest of them are on quarantine. So it turned out really well that this was my fullest class. And I guess they'd already gone through their quarantine or whatever. Yeah. So it worked out. Well, and as someone who has done a round with, I've seen the craft and draft in the wild in different ways. So I've seen it um, at our campus and I was looking through different several teachers and I could tell you know, where that deep learning was going, where that application of it it was. And there's a, I mean, there's a stark difference. Like you can look at kids craft and draft books and really get a good sense of what's happening. Cause it's a snapshot when you're walking to them, even if you're in there for 45 minutes, it's still a snapshot, right? So having that record is so powerful, but then, you know, we've seen it to where we went and visited another district with my principal last year. And I would—I didn't even know this teacher was using the craft and draft books. He didn't even know that I was one of the the people that made it. And we were watching it, and a girl pulled out her two journals, and my principal happened to walk up to her, and they go, "Hey, what are you? Uh, what's your journals?" She goes, "Oh, this is my craft book, and this is my draft book." And then she like fully explained it, and I was like, "Yes!" And then uh, it's because we had talked to a different teacher there who I had shown the journals to. I just didn't realize that she had shared it with her team, but. Um, so I've seen it in the wild multiple times and it's, it is a powerful thing for, uh, administrators far better than, uh, uh-huh. anchor charts and word walls and stuff like that. Anyone can fake anchor charts. You can't fake student work in craft and draft. It's impossible. You just can't like it's either there or it's not. So I think that's beneficial, but we're going to pause there on the intro so we can welcome everyone to the craft and draft podcast. With Pam Ocho and Jacob Chastain. We are the founders of Craft and Draft. That is our journal system. The book is coming one of these days, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but, you know, COVID has slowed down things. COVID era teaching has slowed down things. But we are hard at work on that. But we talk every single week on this podcast, 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes more, about reading and writing workshop. We talk honestly about our practices. Uh, we are two middle school teachers, both teaching in seventh grade. Uh, and we dive into this stuff all the time. So if you are enjoying this podcast, uh, stick around because we're going to dive into some stuff. Today we are talking all about and something inspired by uh, a listener of the podcast and just to prove that we 
uh, do these things kind of on the fly sometimes is before we started this episode, I was telling Miss Ocho, I go, I don't know if we can use her name because I asked her and she hadn't responded yet. But as we were talking, she responded. <laughs> so Natalie Crutilla, I think I'm hoping I'm pronouncing her last name right. If I'm not, I apologize. But Natalie uh, had messaged me after the Laura of Rob episode. She messaged me on Instagram and was talking about... Uh, giving students free choice when they are writing fictional writing, how to start merging them into other writing. So that's what we're going to be talking about is moving kids, not just in, from fictional to something else, but just getting kids unstuck in their genre of choice. And then she had mentioned some things about DOLs and grammar a little bit later that I think uh, we can address. But all of that and more on this episode of Craft and Draft. All right, back to it. Um, so... I mean, kids getting stuck in writing. I feel like this is pretty common, especially if you're, I mean, at the beginning of the year for sure, but like I, I still have kids that get stuck in their genre of choice, mm-hmm. in their in their kind of form factor. Um, and and it's, it's hard because what do we not want to do? We don't want to crush their little spirits and kill. We don't want to, you know, <laughs> take the aspiring fiction author and, and uh, ruin their lives by forcing them to write expository or something they hate. So it's this delicate balance, right? And that, I feel like that's what workshop always is. It's like, how much do you push? How much do you uh, let go? And when do you kind of decide to pivot? But that's, a, I mean, it's, it's a unique challenge. How is this something that you've dealt with several times over the course of your time? As far as um, getting getting stuck in a particular genre, yeah, is just seeing kids yeah. seeing kids getting kind of wrapped up in uh, a particular way of writing and not really venturing out. Well, I have, and they've also gotten stuck on like one topic, and you cannot get them off that topic. I've got one right now that no matter what, she will not get off that topic. So um, I'm always trying to figure out, well, you know, you could have written about that by inserting that topic right here. Look at this, you know, so I try to do stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, when they get stuck, like if they really like adventure or they like a certain type of book and that's all, that's all they'll read, that's all they'll write, that's all they'll do. Uh, sometimes this happens, especially now with anime and all of the graphic novels, they'll, <clears throat> they would rather draw their own personal anime figures and create their own anime figures. And that's, so, you know, you, you just have to look at that and figure out a workaround, you know, a way to work into their ideas and into their writing and then show them how you can take that idea and turn it into different things. So that's, that's one thing that I do when they're in the middle of doing that. For sure. And so I want to kind of frame this with, I'm going to read her question okay. uh, that I, I briefly answered this kind of just in a back and forth. Cause I hate, you know, People, if people, if people contact me, like I am probably going to respond to you. There's sometimes like I'll look at something if I'm in the middle of something and then forget. But the majority of people who DM me get responses. Um, I'm really going to regret that uh, as things get more popular. But I've made pretty good. Uh, the only things I don't respond to all the time are just requests to get on the podcast because like teach me teacher, like there's just too many. Like if I denied everyone or whatever, like it would just be. That's all I would do. But for for these types of questions, I really love it because anytime a teacher reaches out, I'm like, you know, if I can even give them one bit of a tip. But luckily, we have a podcast where we can talk for an hour about people's questions, whether they want it or not. So, <laughs> so here's her question. Exactly right. She goes, 
I'm listening to the Craft and Draft with Laura Rob. I love you and Pam and have listened to all the podcasts. Question. Aw, thank you. When you guys all say to give students free choice, my students all choose fictional writing. How do I get them to write nonfiction? Because they do have to learn to write both question marks. So her idea, so she's, and I, I think I'm remembering her situation correctly because I asked her kind of what she was doing. These are younger kids, like third grade, uh, fourth grade. She's kind of helping kids at home. She was, she was kid parents wanted her to kind of teach like out in the yard. Right. So like real communal, like stuff shutting down. Yeah. So she's doing a lot of really interesting, uh, stuff. So here's, here's her background. So let's, maybe this will frame it too. Cause I think it's pretty interesting. She goes, I've taught K through six, but this year, because we're not in person, I had some parents ask if I could teach in my backyard. I had left my previous school in June after 16 years. I wanted to grow as a teacher. So this year I'm teaching six third graders thinking about it. And then she kind of goes on to talk about, uh, moving on to some of the advice that I gave her. So she's, this is a really unique situation, right? But I think it's, um, so one kudos, right? I mean, teaching these kids kind of like in the backyard. Um, Mm -hmm. and this is, this is the beauty. That's a real hero right there. Yeah. Cause where people aren't responsible, like some people want to be home. Some people don't. Some families are like, okay, I get why things are closed, but I can't teach my kids. I need to reach out to teachers that can. Right. So um, everyone is just figuring out how they're going to survive the pandemic. So uh, I think it's super cool, but I think this is just a, this is just helpful advice in general. So one thing that I have found um, as, so I taught sixth grade, I've taught sixth grade the majority of my time of teaching. So even, I know it's a little older than third grade, but when kids come to me, uh, and we would start writing, like when we were just really in those early days of writing workshop, when I was encouraging, almost all of them wrote fiction and I wasn't really sure why, but I, I I mean, I could probably guess as to why, but have you found that to be uh, true Mm -hmm. working with younger writers? Well, they'll write fiction, and they'll also, like, if it's a personal story, they'll write, um, my friend uh, used to always say, bed to bed, you know, I got up that morning, it was a great day, my mom made me breakfast, I did brush my teeth after my breakfast, I've read so many and we went to Six Flags, and Six Flags was fun, and we came home, and I went to bed. So bed to bed, so I, I find that to be a very common thing, and then fiction uh, would be you know, probably, well, my son always liked military stuff. He still does. But, uh, yeah, fiction of just made-up stories and uh, I would say like aliens and dinosaurs and, you know, those types of things. Uh, They like to write on that, especially boys. I know more about boys than I do girls. Well, and I think, I think it makes sense. I mean, if you think about just, uh, we start with stories, right? We start with imagination. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, kids are natural storytellers, right? This is why, uh, getting kids to write, uh, if they've never had any negative, negative experiences, it's really easy to get kids to write because kids Mm want to talk. They want to tell stories. They want to make believe they want to do all of those things. So, it's natural for them to get into that. And plus the, most of the things they've read at that time, you know, third grade, especially has been fiction, right? So you write what you know in general. So I have found that to be true. And I feel like it's just, I feel like the narrative connects the, uh, we tell stories in our head, right? So to get into Mm -hmm. kind of a, 
a psychological state on this is we, you know, to call back to one of our early podcasts where it's like the, the power of story or, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that book is, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Haven. Yes. Um, yeah. The, and he talks about how the, uh, Kendall Haven, and he talks about how the story, the brain is mapped for story. Is, yeah. We talked about that and how we just, we've been telling stories for centuries. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's because it's how we conceptualize yeah. the world, right? Like this right. is right. when you, when they were teaching, you know, when they were passing down their oral histories, like you can remember mm-hmm. a story better than you remember a fact. This is why ancient history, um, not to get biblical, but this is why the biblical texts read the way they do in a lot of ways, because history as we know it did not exist. Right. So this is why you have a narrative structure to a lot of these really ancient texts. Um, but in any case, so this is, it's a natural state, but it can be frustrating for teachers, uh, easily because it's like, okay, you know, third grade, fourth grade, especially. And then especially once you get into secondary, it be the, the push to have kids not only interact with informational text, but also be able to write expository about stuff, to write argument, to write stuff that is more about information giving. Um, it, I mean, it's 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 a huge push, but I could like, I, it's really easy to see how people can go. Oh my god! All they want to do is write stories. How on earth? How do I nurture this writer and not and get them to do what I need them to do? Uh, for the curriculum. And that's, I feel, I feel like this is exactly to your point of, uh, we, it's a delicate balance and it's, I don't know what, so let's start from, uh, from the, the ground up. So you have a student who writes a lot of fiction. How do you start approaching that student to learn what they're good at and what they're not that goes beyond fiction? How do you begin to unpack their knowledge early on? Well, first of all, we write what we know, so there's nothing wrong with letting them start with story, but a thought that came to my mind uh, while you were talking was, well, my, I'm just going to go back to my son and my own experience when he was about third or fourth grade. He He's always loved military, y'all, you know that, and um, he the story that he wrote that I remember uh, was a military story, and he put himself in it, and he had to write about his best day ever. And in that best day, he ended up being in this B-52, whatever, with his buddy. And anyway, they took everybody down. And, you know, they, they won the day. They defeated the, the victors. But he actually used nonfiction in that. Like, he put himself right in the middle of World War II, and put himself in one of those historic characters. So he learned history by putting himself into it. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. But anyway, uh, they saved the day, and it was the best day ever. So he he he, he actually, I, I think that's what he wrote for his state test. And uh, he, got, he got a four in it. And I think it's because he was writing from what he knew. And what did, why did he know that? Is because that's where he spent his time reading. So I think it starts with helping them read different types of books. It's got they've got to have experience reading different types of books. So you would read, 
you know, books about weather, books about the dinosaurs, books about uh, anything that they find interesting. You want to start there. So if if they like, let's say, dinosaurs, then you find all the books you can on dinosaurs and you let them read. You let them read fiction books and you let them read nonfiction books. Then you let them see what is fiction and what's nonfiction and you let them kind of sort that out and then you ask them to imitate. And I think imitation is probably your best way of getting them into it. And then you could also, when it comes to pre-writing, I would say, I would I would ask them to brainstorm things that they want to know more about. What are you interested in? What do you like? What kinds of things do you do after school? What kind of things do you do or surround yourself in your house? So do you surround yourself... Um, well, your son, I think he likes uh, washing machines. Yeah, and we've <laughs> recently made a a, a re-trip into vacuums. So for, hang on, backstory. Oh, vacuums. Oh, my God. I thought the vacuum phase was done. <laughs> I really did, and I was so thankful for it because I get allergies like crazy, and his vacuum phases have always killed me. So there was – I have several pictures throughout his, the years. By the way, he's about to turn nine uh, on Monday. So oh, happy birthday. Yes. So he is uh he for people who don't know, he is autistic. So he has these obsessions that he gets on and he loves anything mechanical and he can recite like the whole VIN number of washing machines that we have and stuff like that. And he was obsessed with washing machines for a little bit and he still is. But he's been back on this vacuum kick. So literally for his birthday, we bought him like a $240 vacuum as his birthday present because <laughs> He's so into them. That's what he's been doing all day today. And I'm like, oh, my God. So not to derail you, but I am in the vacuum stage no, again. And it is – it is. Um, you would but, think my but, floors would be clean, but, you know, they're still dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole thing is I don't think that that's a derail. I think that's an example of how we treat these students. In other words, you find out what they know, you find out what they like, and you find out what, what they're passionate about. And then from there, you look at the nonfiction and you point them, you nudge them towards that direction. And so instead of you telling them what they're excited about, you let them tell you. And then you use, you know, then you start guiding them. So like um, if it's vacuum cleaners, and I would say, well, who made the first one? Let's go see if we can find that out. Go see if you can find that out. Who made the first vacuum cleaner? Come back and tell, let me know. All right. So they tell me and say, okay, now what I want you to do is, is write about that person. Find out all you can about that person and write about them. So that would be that would be one example. Or what are the what's the technology behind the vacuum cleaner? Why does it work like that? Go see if you can find that out and then write about it and let me know. Yes, I I think that in one of the places that people can start and then you know altered depending on age, obviously, but I, I I there's two places that I would start, but the first one is Everyone likes to, 
everyone's experienced a kid coming up to you and telling you information that you don't care about, right? Like mm-hmm. my wife, I hate going places with her in public sometimes because if there's a little kid running around, that she will end up talking to that little kid and the little kid will start telling stories and I'm over here trying to like get shopping done and like just get my life ready and she'll sit here and talk to the kid forever. This is why she's a kindergarten teacher, by the way, and I am not. <laughs> but she, uh, it, it's her, it's her skill set. Um, but everyone's had that experience, right? Kids come up to you, they want to talk, they want to share. I, I honestly getting to get kids out of narrative, it's, it it is comes down to build relationships to the point to where you can approach kids and have those conversations. So if I was teaching third grade and I was trying to get kids more into expository pieces or more informational writing or whatever, I would constantly just ask them about their lives and see what they're into. You know, they'll, they'll probably Mm -hmm. say some typical stuff, which that's good to jot down, but eventually they'll say something that's pretty unique to them. There'll be something that they're into, Mm -hmm. something that is, is them. And once you get that, you can kind of get them talking, jot down some notes and then you can start encouraging them to write about that and to really push them into, okay, so tell me about that. Right. Like there was a great Ted talk. I forget the name of it. Uh, I forget the name of the guy. I'll, I'll try to, if I remember, I'll try to link this into the show notes, but it's a Ted talk of a guy talking about slam poetry and how like he's done a lot. I remember this Ted talk very clearly because I've used, he brings on one of his poets that he's worked with at the end. Her name's Amal Kassir. She's a, a poet from the middle East. Who's very into advocacy. Um, she writes a lot about Syria, but she's, she's a fantastic poet. She's just amazing. And, uh, in his talk, though, he talks about working with a kid who kind of hates writing and doesn't want to do anything. But then he finds out the kid is into wrestling, like is a, a right, wrestling aficionado, right? Knows everything, knows all the wrestlers, mm-hmm. knows everything. And what he he has this this line where he talks about, he goes, no, he goes, write about that. I want you to tell me about that. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're telling me right now, the, this is what you should be writing about. And like I've internalized that. So when you... The, to get kids to talk about this stuff, like we think about expository and information, we think about it in a in a very traditional school sense, right? It's because that's how we were trained. That's how people are just used to thinking about this. But if we think about it as more of sharing information that we think other people should know or we think is cool enough to tell, that is how you make that jump. It's not, okay, kids, now we're writing an expository piece. Right. It's what do you want me to know? What is so cool that you have to tell me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then you let the meaning of what they want to say determine how they choose to say it, and I think that to me is 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 pertinent. And then on the older students, sometimes they'll just because for some reason between that third grade and could be all the tests that we have to take, and between the seventh grade year, they've determined they can't write. They've determined they don't know anything about it. Uh, I think. I think because maybe the uh, assignments start being more teacher-led, teacher-assigned, rather than student-discovered, so to speak. Middle school is where the love of writing and reading goes to die. (laughs) It is right. It happens during that time, and I think if we could, but in, in 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 the situation of our state, we test them for writing in the fourth grade. And we don't test them again for writing, which I think that's changing, uh, until the seventh grade. So you've got this span of time 
that everybody's just writing reports. You know, they're not really writing, I don't think. I don't think because that's not where the emphasis is. Yeah, so I think that does test. make a difference. Huh? I said they're writing to the test, right? So you get the, yeah. you get the, so if teachers are really good, they're teaching them in between that. But here's the thing like, we, we, I mean, we talk about testing a lot on here, and we talk about standardized tests. And if anyone's interested in our philosophy, we did an episode about assessment. And I'm sure we'll cover it again. But, you know, we're not for standardized testing, but we, the way we currently operate is this is just, this is the evil that is in our lives. So there's no point in ignoring it. Let's use it to our best ability. But here's the, here's the fact of the matter is I have worked. So in sixth grade, there's not a writing test. I have sat next to teachers who ignore the entire writing side because there is no writing test. Mm -hmm. And so you, unfortunately, that's human nature, right? If they're not, this is the nature of this accountability system that we've had is if they're not looking at it, it's probably not being done in the class unless the teacher just really cares about it. Like I've always taught reading and writing. Now I leaned towards reading for a while. And then eventually as I became better, I, I did both, but, um, that's just not the case. So you get these kids with these huge gaps. Only thing, the the big, the last time they, by seventh grade, the last major time they wrote was when a teacher was preparing them for the fourth grade test over here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, other states have similar stuff. They might have different grades, but there's similar gaps. And so you have this kid who thinks that informational writing is all about this 26 line essay that is relatively garbage. Like it's, it it, it, it ruins this experience. Mm -hmm. But, but really truly, if you can find what it is that these kids like, and sometimes they're not sure anymore. And I think that's where I was going with that. So, so I try to create brainstorming activities that allow them to explore what they like and what they know. So, Nancy Atwell had the the heart map where you can find things that are dear to your heart. Uh, that's one way of doing it, but that's I use that more for uh, personal narrative, you know, things like that. People who because they usually put people down more than anything. But when you actually take and you say you ask them specific questions like, "What uh, is your? What are you most interested in? What are your hobbies?" What and so they list, and then one of the ones I always ask is, "What do you have a strong opinion about?" And I tell them you could have. I usually use me as a volleyball official, uh, and I say I like volleyball. Right? I want to learn more about volleyball because I'm an official, so I always want to know more about what the new changes are. And then one of my I have an opinion about how volleyball has changed. And I think it's changed sometimes for the better and for the worse, but I can write about either side of that. And then I might say gardening, as <laughs> you know, <laughs> gardening is one of those. And then at the end, I have a strong opinion about my failed gardening techniques. <laughs> so, but the whole thing, <laughs> but the whole thing is, is what I'm trying to say is I use myself as an example. I do it in front of them for myself. And then I have them imitate what I did, but they do it with their own thoughts. And then eventually I tell them, settle on one of those. Whatever one is screaming at you the most, the one that is pulling your heartstrings the most, the one that you keep, you really want to write about, that's the one you're going to write about. So I try to create um, brainstorming activities that are going to get them to start thinking. And I do that at the older level, at the older age group. And I think you could do it at the younger group too. 
I want to break that down a little bit because I feel like what some people might do is they will hear, okay, brainstorm. Got it. So they will have Monday brainstorm, Tuesday outline. Thursday, you know, Wednesday, and they they break it down in this in this day to day process because here's the thing, because you got to remember, right? Teachers who are uncomfortable with this process, or or maybe they don't trust the process, or don't trust their students to be able to do it. That control is one. That's this is natural, right? It. I'm Mm -hmm. not insulting anybody. Everyone has felt this need to take control of writing because it's like if I need something specific, I have to control every piece of it. So when you say brainstorm. How loose and how does this end up translating to actual student writing? Okay. Well, they brainstorm. I brainstorm. And then I have them star or circle the one that speaks to them the most. And then they write about it. And they usually write, well, maybe about three to five minutes, to be honest. So kind of like a quick write? Yeah, kind of like a quick write. Sometimes 10 minutes. It just depends. Sometimes, I mean, I really do change it up. It just depends on the time that I have allotted or that I have time for. Because sometimes I got to get to something else. So, but I want them to write that day. So it might be a shorter piece. And then the next day I'll say, okay, let's go back over. What's something else that's uh, pulling at you today? So they will write like those little quick writes, at least three or four of them. And then from there, uh, I let them pick one that they want to take all the way through the process and which one do they really want to work on. And so they do that sometimes, um, you know, and, and I don't tell them what they need to write. I don't tell them to write nonfiction at that point. I just tell them to write. And I think that's where sometimes we do that too. We tell them, okay, you have to write a nonfiction piece. I don't do that. What I, what I do is I get them to write, but I try to make sure that my brainstorm process leads them to write about things that are probably going to be nonfiction. That's why the, what do you have a strong opinion about a hobby, something like that. I don't ask them to write about events. If I want them to write narratives and stories, I ask them to write about events and settings. So I pull my brainstorm session is typically about something that is a characteristic of the genre. I'm wanting them to kind of go into I didn't think about that, but right now, just so, so let's say I want them to explore science fiction. Then I might say, what is something in science that you would, that you've learned about? Out of what you've learned about, what would you want to know more about? From there, what do you have an opinion about? Now, the one that's pulling at you the most, I want you to go research. Now, I want you to write about it. So I might do it that way, but I might have them write little tidbits and then they go do the research after they, I want them to kind of get their own thoughts down first about it. So if, and then, you know, and then we might talk about the characteristics of science fiction, science fiction, if it's science fiction. So then I might say, well, where can that science happen in another setting? Right. Let's brainstorm all the different settings. So, and now that's going back to to narrative, but that's kind of the same idea, I think. Well, here's the thing. So if you had a kid who, let's say you were doing this, let's say you were really pushing for, like you had a really informational heavy unit, something like that. Would you yeah. stop a kid 
if they were in, if they were writing a poem or a story or something like that, would you be like, no, you can't write that. You have to do this. How would you go about that shift? Okay. So what I would do is I would look around, I would do an observation on my own and I would be specifically looking for what are they writing about? I could do a Nancy Atwell status of the class and ask them just depends on my format. I change it up sometimes because I don't like doing the same thing all the time. But a Nancy Atwell kind of status of the class, I walk around, see what everybody's doing, kind of take notes. Okay, I've got a poem over here. I've got a story over here. I've got something over there. So I do that, and then I'll say, okay, I do a mini lesson on genre. And then I'll say, okay, look at the piece that you've been working on. What other genre is it calling out to be? And then I ask them to change their genre, but keeping the same topic. I love that question. Mm-hmm. So, because that sometimes it'll, you know, you can write about it in an informational text, but you could also write about it in a poem. The message could be the same, but they're exploring a different way to say it. And then again, you always want to follow up with, because here's with model text. That's where I was going with that. But sometimes in in our situation, and I think you might be more free than me, but I I look at that curriculum and they go, well, we have to. These are our non-negotiables. So I try. I know I have to work through those non-negotiables. So sometimes I will do that brainstorming thing to go around with what you know we're already having to. Uh, read something we have to read. There's things that we have to read according to our curriculum. So I'll look at that and I say, okay, what we have to read is nonfiction. That's what they want us to read this time. So, oh, it's an opinion. I mean, it's an argument. So that's where that strong opinion would come into. And then, but I would let them write and then say, okay, can we use that in our argument? So I don't want them to get rid of anything they've written, but maybe we can blend and merge as well. So I just kind of let them tell me what they want to do. And yet I kind of try to work them through model text, my own writing and conferencing. See, I feel like what's to kind of summarize what I'm hearing you say is I feel like your approach is very much the approach of like what you said in your observation, you know, putting students first, putting their interests first, Mm -hmm. putting where they're driving. Nothing you're doing is oppressing their creativity. Right. And I think that's, that's the line we want to draw. We don't want to hurt student drive. This is when students become, they hate writing, they hate whatever. The moment we decide that we got to take control of something. We are robbing them of literally robbing them of empowerment in the writing workshop, in the reading workshop. It, this works for reading as well. You just translate, just change what we're talking about. But this, this, this method of showing, you know, so in the lower grades, you know, a lot of this stems on teachers showing students uh, quality nonfiction, right? That they can actually mimic this, this, uh, text selection becomes increasingly important. I'm working with, uh, one of my newer teachers in sixth grade where half the conversations we have are centered around, is this text appropriate for sixth grade? Because, um, 
it, it, that that's a skill. It is a skill to be able to look at something. And I, I was horrible at it. Like <laughs> if you ask like some of my previous department chairs and stuff, like I was really bad for a long time at selecting texts that were accessible enough, but challenging enough to where, you know, in that, the, the learning area, right. So to where mm-hmm. I could get them to think and also, uh, be able to mimic what was in there. But n- these days, uh, I'm I'm a little bit better. So if I was teaching younger grades, like our our friend, um, who's who spontaneous who, who spawned this episode, it would be more towards showing them really interesting text based on their experiences, and then asking exploring that. Be like, why is this written? So like, why are we interested in this? And you might be like, oh well, I like the topic. Awesome. That's something that we need to know about writing informational pieces, right? Like, mm-hmm. no one's going to read your informational piece about something no one cares about. So we need to pick great topics. Um, but then you can be like, oh well, maybe this the writer was very passionate. They were very passionate about what they wanted to do. So okay, so you can sway. I mean, we've all watched YouTube videos that we didn't care about at first, but then it was someone was so passionate that you were like, I'm in. Like I get it. Like right. let's go. Like I'm gonna plant potatoes, right? So <laughs> <laughs> the Adele Gardner with me. Yeah. So uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we've had those experiences. So it's getting kids. This is human nature. And, and, and if you think about it that way, I think it becomes less, uh, less intrusive into the workshop. When we think about what human nature is, why we want to share information, what gets someone excited to share the, the, the same drive that gets you and I to show up at 8 p.m., Every Saturday or sometimes on the weekdays talking about workshop isn't because we're driven to make podcasts. It's because we're so freaking excited about just teaching and workshop in general that we want to share our experiences. Kids have that too. It's just a matter of tapping into it. And then once you have them teaching them piece by piece the skill set that it takes to write informational expository procedural all of that stuff and that that's where the finesse comes in and you're you're the more knowledge you have as a teacher of these genres the more you've written them yourself the more you're going to be valuable to your writers but you know in general i think just approaching it from an open mindset uh to, to start with students first, you know, if you have that outlook, I think you'll eventually get there, um, without too much trouble. Yeah. I, well, I had, I had some other thoughts that just happened as well. I, I do, you know, but once they start writing another thing that you could do, and I think this would work even with the younger group, uh, two things that come to my mind. One is they've, they've gotten their little paper written and then you have them pull something from that paper and then you tell them, uh, Dr. Carroll in her book, Writing with Depth, has a prove-it paragraph activity that I really like. And you pull a declarative sentence. So now you can teach declarative sentence because you have to tell them, pull a declarative sentence, and you teach that. So they pull out that sentence as declarative, and then they have to prove it to be true. So if in their bed-to-bed story which is what you're going to get at the beginning until you start working with these kids. They talk about that ride at Six Flags that they were on, okay? Then you say that ride at Six Flags was fun. 
the shockwave was fun. I don't know, whatever they were on. And then you say, okay, pull that out. That's a declarative sentence. Now I want you to prove that it's fun. Now they're no longer writing the story. They might have some of that element in there, but they're writing about that about that thing. So you could have them do it with, I have a boy that no matter what he does, he writes about sharks. Everything's about sharks. He writes stories, but he's put himself. And so, but I might say, tell me more about that tiger shark. You said that the tiger shark is one of the, not the most dangerous, but in the top three. So tell me more about why that shark is dangerous. So in my conference is where I'm going to find that out. Another thing that they could do in the pre-writing is like she has those those students in the backyard. She could have them all bring an object that they really appreciate from their room, something that they can carry or a picture of it or the memory of it in their mind. And then they can describe it. So you can ask them to describe this. Tell us about it by description. So you can, you can be more purposeful with things that they have chosen. The idea is that they choose it and then that's where what you're talking about, they'll be more passionate about it. So they'll, so then because they're more passionate about it, you'll hear their voice, you'll see their style, it'll have more depth, and they, they'll want to go back in and make it better. And the last thing that I'm thinking about is, now this is number three, even though I said it was number two, the third one is figure out a way to get them to publish it. Have them find an audience Find another student that's interested in the same thing they are, or find another adult, or find a child's magazine that they can submit to, those types of things. So I would say, or figure out a way for them, uh, do a, a passionate anthology, things my, my class is passionate about, and they each put something in there. But you give that in order for them to turn in their submission for the class anthology, it has to meet these requirements because it's this type of anthology. It's a science technology uh, anthology or it's a, you know, my favorite thing anthology. So that those are some things that just popped into my head about how we might could move them from story to uh, nonfiction. So one thing that... <clears throat> and I said this to her in my actual DMs, but we the the thing that I rely on so much and I find so much value in it, one, taking a multiple genre approach. Uh, oh, yeah, you're good at this. Well, I just... I, <laughs> I, I love how you do this. I mean, of, I would, I'm just going to stop you for a second. I just want to tell everybody out there that the first time I walked into his class, this is what he was doing, and I have been wild ever since. Just saying, just saying, this was it. This is the moment, Jacob, that I thought, maybe he knows what he's doing. It's... <laughs> And I don't even know where it kind of came from. I think it was it was it was my solution to a lot of problems. And I even I coached. Uh, so what's funny about this is I coached uh, one of my newer teachers on my team in this. She was she was trying to go into argument, and she was bored by it. She had a good subject that she kind of wanted to model with, but she was like this, and I was like, well, why don't you approach it from multiple genres? She was, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, why don't you? show a fiction example, a poetry example, and then a traditional kind of argument example. She says, well, how do I do that? And I'm like, well, I was like, there's a, not all fiction is an argument, but a lot of it is. I was like, stories say something, you know, 
all summer today by Ray Bradbury. Like it's, it's, it's making an argument against, you know, bullying. There's, there's some bigger arguments there, but one of the more basic ones is about that. There, there's a lot of relishing. Yes. And relish. We've talked about that. (laughs) Well, and then like, uh, for higher level students, you know, the sniper, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the argument there is like, is war really worth it when we're all really brothers and sisters, you know, we're all humanity. And I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. You can take this high school, middle school, elementary school, you can take this as deep as you want, but essentially great stories, great poetry, great nonfiction is making an argument for something. So when I think about this, when I want students to approach their writing from different genres, my go-to is showing them how different genres can be effective for different purposes. And I think this is really valuable for young people to realize is that so one thing that I did, so I, when I, so in sixth grade, right, for anyone who's familiar with the podcast, I looped up with my kids. So in sixth grade, when I first got these students, they were, a lot of them were writing fiction, right? I have one student, she wrote a, a piece about an evil baker who had these donuts and I was the evil baker. Mr. Chastain was the evil baker. And I had another student write uh, this rat story about these rats trying to steal cheese. And it was, you know, it was very, it's very kiddish. It was very whimsical and stuff like that. And then I looked at their later writing and it became personal. It became them talking about important topics like depression, anxiety, stuff like that. And a lot of that was me approaching them and talking to them about their stories and talking about this and that, but then asking them who they were and really diving into their personal experiences, diving into what interests them, diving into what they were thinking about today. And then what I would do is once I kind of gathered this information, once I knew my students in a class, I would do mini lessons that took a different genre and then we would talk about it and go, how else, what are other genres connect to this? How else can we talk about this? So we might, let's say I did a poem about anxiety for some reason, do a poem about that. Okay. So what are, what have we ever read an anxious character? And then we might do that. So the next day I might bring in a, a story that has something similar. And then the next day we might bring in an article about what anxiety is. So it's this slow building process of approaching something from multiple angles. And then what I've done is I've set up, I've set a foundation for students to say, you can talk about anxiety in poetry. You can talk about it in story. You can talk about it in informational. The difference becomes what purpose as a writer are you trying to do? Do you want to inform someone about it? Do you want to give someone an experience so they understand it? Or do you want to express yourself? All of those are completely valid as writing choices. All of these are perfectly valid in the real world. And once you entrust the writing process to students like that, you give them options to not only explore ideas, emotions, feelings, stuff like that. You give them genres to go, okay, what genre fits in this? And sometimes they don't know if they are novice writers and you know, if they're too young or they just haven't written enough, sometimes it comes down to letting them write in one and then offering uh, a challenge, a nudge to embrace another genre. I did this with when I was a literacy coach at our school that we worked at. We, mm-hmm. 
uh, about 75% of them really weren't writers and they had only written one type of thing. The only experience no, they, they had were, with, <laughs> they were pretty rough. <laughs> a lot of them, they were, uh, they uh, were great, but they were, rough. yeah, they were amazing, but they, they, all, the only experiences they had were, you know, fourth grade writing and seventh grade writing. That's really all they ever had. So when, what I would do is I would set up a unit to give them multiple genres. And then I had them write in the one that they were most comfortable with. I would really work in that. A lot of them chose fiction, et cetera. And then I would challenge them to write in a different genre about the same thing. And what they realized was they experienced what it was like to change something, but they were able to rely on their strengths. So let's say a student wrote a fiction story. Okay, what are great lines from this? What great lines did you say in this fiction piece? And then we can create a poem from that. So now we're working at, we're working on lines. We're working on focus. We're working on word structure. We're working on word choice. We're working on grammar. All of that stuff just by taking a fictional story and making a poem out of it. And then... The poem is almost like a summary, a, the, a condensed version. And then we can go, okay, so what would this look like? If we really wanted to hone in on these ideas in nonfiction, what does that look like? And the the life, it's, it's a slow process and it takes time and it takes constant conferring. But what happens is students start realizing these pockets of revelation, right? These pockets of like, oh, this is what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about anxiety. I want to talk about the effects of anxiety on kids. I don't want to talk about gun control. I want to talk about, uh, why, why people disagree about this in the first place, right? You know, you can take these all different ways. And once this is like giving the keys to the kingdom, right? It's realizing that every subject, every topic, everything has multiple angles. So you're not only in this process, are you creating kids that can write multiple genres? You're creating thinkers that can think in different ways. You're creating uh, kids that can take information and apply it from different angles. And what you're getting is you are teaching kids that everything is not one dimensional. You're teaching a 3d perspective. So you're, when kids go through this process over and over and over again, as the year goes, what they develop is this ability to look at things from different angles. I mean, if you're talking metacognition to throw a teaching buzzword out there, this is metacognition to the max. Right. And, and it's, it's it, what it, but it empowers them. It empowers them to experience all of these things without being oppressed. At no point did I say, you have to do this. You have to do that. It's meeting them, knowing my students, showing them what, uh, using what I know about them in my mini lessons and then setting them free to explore things in a three dimensional world. And uh, I've, I mean, I just, I've had good results. I've had good results with really low kids. I've had good results with really high kids. It just, you have to just know your students to be able to know where to push and where, what to give them. And I think that's what I meant. Kind of when I said, what is this genre calling to, you know, yeah. what want to be? And I've had a lot of good experiences with that, doing it that way. But I like the way you do it. And I saw it work. And I, you had some kids that were really novice uh, when it came to writing. And then they would, but it was neat to, they'd meet me in the hallway and they'd go, Miss Ochoa, look what I just wrote. I mean, you know, I had several of them would go, look, look, this is how I changed it. And they were so proud of their ability because they're doing something they never, first of all, they're doing something that nobody else in the school's doing because these kids talk. Yeah. They talk. And then secondly, they're doing something that is, I don't know, wonderful. Wow. I mean, it's inspiring for them. 
Well, it's really creation, is. right? I mean, to go back to the whole thing mm-hmm. of like, what what makes kids want to talk? What makes a kid want to share information? It's doing something new, doing something exciting. And writing is the ultimate conduit to that, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's, they're creating something out of nothing. They're putting words, they're taking something and creating something. And, and it doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean your kids are right. You know, it doesn't mean they're Shakespeare. It means that they are creating and seeing value in this because what, what am I doing? I'm constantly affirming their choices. I am encouraging them to take risk. I'm, I'm creating a low stakes environment so they don't feel like they're going to be punished because they don't put a comma in the right spot, or I'm going to take their piece and mark all over it with red pen or something like that. I am creating an environment that allows them to freely explore these things. And then as an educator, what I'm trying to do is rather than assess and, uh, be the, 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 the sage on the stage, I am facilitating learning through the actual act of creation. And uh, you can't walk away from that, not feeling empowered. And kids do that. You know, I had students who this year, uh, cause I didn't, I didn't loop up with all my kids. Some of my kids came from other teachers and some of them have moved, you know, we have a big transient rate. So I get kids from other districts and stuff like that. I, th- this is the time right now where we were deep into workshop. It's February. I've had so many kids go Chastain. I hated writing before this class. Oh, I yeah. love, they're like, I love writing. You were the first teacher. Let me do this. And I go, why? And they go, well, you let me, write about what I want to write about. You let me write. Like that's literally like how easy just let kids write and then we can, we can fix it from there. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, And I have the same, I've had the same experience over the years where kids would come to me and say, you know, as a matter of fact, just the other day, I had a student that switched over and I kind of eavesdrop, but one of the things the teacher said, so how do you like being in that class, right? And she goes, oh, we get to write like all the time. We can rewrite so much more. And you could just see that she was all excited about it. And then, and then the, the teacher looked up at me and went, well, that's great. <laughs> what do you say, right? But she was all excited about getting to write. I mean, so yeah, these kids love to write but they don't know they'd love to write. So we've got to give them a safe environment to take risk. And then I think through this process, we validate their thinking. We didn't get to DOLs today, ladies and gentlemen, but I don't know what a better way to close out this podcast. We'll have to talk about DOLs another day and grammar practice and grammar yes. instruction on another podcast. But this has been another episode of Craft and Draft, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you learned a little bit of something and hopefully you were just able to kind of nod along and be affirmed in your choices as a reading and writing workshop teacher. Remember, we are real teachers doing this in the flesh. We are not people traveling around making thousands of dollars preaching to you without ever touching the classroom. We are making teacher salaries uh, doing this because we love it and hopefully our experiences can be valuable to you. So if you like this episode, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. We drop them every single Friday. Leave a review if you enjoyed this and check out Craft and Draft's other episodes via the podcast feed or go to craftandraftworkshop.com for all of our other episodes, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for everyone who writes in. If you want a question answered, literally just DM me because we'll 
will just be like, all right, let's talk about that this week. So <laughs> let's make it happen, ladies and gentlemen. Bring your questions if you have any follow-ups. Thank you to Natalie Pratilla. Yep, Natalie, killing it in her backyard, teaching some third graders. Couldn't love that story anymore. So hopefully, Natalie, this answered some questions. Or maybe not. If it didn't, DM me and uh, we'll solve some problems on the next episode. But for everything else, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here for you.